What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Under the Golden Dome podcast right here. Mini Mike's Network, also Peyton Sports Network, and according to sources as well. You can go type in A2S Network or according to sources on all of your streaming platforms to get previously recorded podcasts, not only Under the Golden Dome, but the third call of the call third podcast and also according to sources our basketball podcast. Uh, we had our NBA breakdown for the full season. We're only two to three weeks into the season, so you can still go check that out. It was a great podcast with my co-host Christopher Kaysen and Brian Crawford. But the end, unfortunately, the end of the Notre Dame football season was on January 1st, and it came at the hands of the Alabama Crimson Tide in the Rose Bowl as Notre Dame fell to the Crimson Tide by a score of 31 to 14. Some could say it wasn't really that close. I'll contend that in a couple of areas. So excited to talk about the Notre Dame season, get the outlook for the 2021 season. Yes, lots of trans transfers out. We're up to seven right now as we record. And we did receive a transfer in from Wisconsin. Quarterback Jack Cohn is going to be joining the Fighting Irish program at the quarterback position. And we're going to talk to our special guest, a great friend of the program, Brian Driscoll from Irish, Irish Maven over at Sports Illustrated is going to join us shortly. But one of the things I do want to talk about, 10-2 and two record this season, a uh, big win on November the 7th, 47-40 over Clemson double overtime. A lot of people will bookmark that and say, that's where this Irish program took a step forward this season. We're going to get into that because it was a big win. We really had not seen um, this Irish program, this Irish football team, bold their necks and with face and when faced with adversity in a big game like that, come up, rise to the occasion, fight back, and ultimately come back with the victory. That team battled hard that night. Ian Book battled his butt off that night, came back for disappointment. The drive before the ultimate drive that tied the game up to send it into overtime when he missed the big fourth down pass that was dropped by Ben Skoranek, didn't put his head down, was told by Brian Kelly, look, you're going to win this game. We're going to give you an opportunity to win this game. Came back, the big throw to get us down into the red zone or to get Notre Dame down into the red zone and ultimately tying the game up and then winning it in double overtime. So great excitement. The win against North Carolina having the bullseye on your back, going up there to face a young North Carolina team that we saw give Texas A&M all they can handle in the bowl game and quite possibly could have won that game. And that was without their top two running backs. Two 1,000-yard running backs didn't play that game. And the youngsters from North Carolina, especially on the defensive side, they showed themselves well, as well as they did. They played very well against Notre Dame uh, when we went up there. Uh, what was that? In December or November, shall I say, and um, Notre, Dame, Notre Dame was able to come up with the 31-17 victory there. Sam Howell played really well in the bowl game, just a solid quarterback, looking forward to seeing his college career progress as well. Uh, December 19th, the ACC championship game, 34-10 uh, loss to Clemson. And, and when I bring Brian Driscoll in, I'm going to ask him, was it as simple, that game and the disappointment in the effort and what we saw from Notre Dame was it as simple as Trevor Lawrence just being the quarterback that day. Of course, he didn't play in the first game in South Bend due to uh, COVID-19 protocol. He had contracted the coronavirus, and he had to sit out, and he wasn't able to play that game. Was it as simple as Trevor Lawrence being on the field, or was there more that we saw not only in the game plan but leading into also the Rose Bowl college football playoff matchup with Alabama that continued on from that ACC championship game? Was it a trend or was it just simply Clemson and Alabama having better talent? That right there seems to be the overriding thought from a lot of people about those two particular games. Like Notre Dame was good, but those two teams just had better talent, especially at the special at the uh, key positions on the outside and in the defensive backfield. So, the skill position, shall I say. So, without further ado, I bring in a friend of the program, friend of mine, none other than Brian Driscoll from Sports Illustrated's Irish Maven. 
Hey, my buddy, how you feeling today? I'm great, man. Great. Yeah, Just enjoying this nice, uh, nice cold, wintry, snowy South Bend day. Yeah, man. Happy New Year to you and yours. How was your holiday? It was good. It was relaxing. Got to spend some time with my wife. Uh, she was gone for a couple weeks before Christmas, so I decorated the house and Christmas stuff before she got home. So she was very happy. So I was in good graces uh, over the Christmas holiday. <laughs> You definitely scored some points with that one. So let's get right into it. As I was saying during the introduction, 10 and 2 record. This team battled through. They had coronavirus issues early on in the season. Uh, they had to go deep, two, three deep at certain positions for the first month of the season. They get to the Clemson game on November the 7th. And we always said, we talked about it when you joined me for the uh, podcast to preview the season. We talked about, hey, the depth of this team is really good, but one of our concerns would be the defensive backfield. We felt very comfortable with the offensive line. We felt very comfortable with the front seven on the defensive side of the ball. But we did talk about Ian Book stepping up and being able to pull the trigger and make the throws needed in big-time games. We also talked about, maybe some concerns or some thoughts we might have had with Tommy Rees and how he would respond in those type of big moments. And then we also talked about just taking that next step. Are they going to be able to step up as a program on the team and take the next step to win a big game? And the height of this season has to be that November night on November the 7th in South Bend when they were able to beat Clemson 47 to 40 in double overtime. Absolutely. I mean, look, let, let's let's look at Clemson without Trevor Lawrence, without Tyler Davis, without James Skalski, and without Mike Jones, okay? And we can right. accept the fact that they're not the number two team or number three team in the country without those guys. Mm -hmm. That's still a top 10 team, even without those players, in my opinion. You know, I still think that's a team that has, you know, had a lot of talent across the board. We saw it. Cornell Powell had a big game. Amari Rogers had a big game. You know, Notre Dame was able to control the line of scrimmage. Those five starters were the same guys Clemson's had all year. So uh, I don't think we should take away from that game. And I think that there should be lessons that Brian Kelly should have learned in that game that he should have carried over into the rematch and into the, the playoff game that he didn't, which is be aggressive, let it all hang out, you know, and and we saw a loose team. We saw loose coaches. We saw them attacking the ball down, you know, attacking downfield the pass game. And we saw just a little glimpse of what this program can and should be. The problem is we just didn't see it in the next two big games, you know, the, the really big games. But it, it certainly is a positive step, and it certainly is something you can use on a recruiting trail, assuming you can overcome, you know, how the season ended. So that being the high mark, we already knew going into the season that November would be the telltale for this team. We would find out who Notre Dame was in the month of November. My question to you, is there one or two games that you can look at to say, you know what? Even though we were able to reach this high mark, this particular game showed me that that other Notre Dame team was still there. I actually think there were a, a lot of games, Sean, and, and, and that was kind of my beef. You and I had these conversations privately, and you saw me write about it during the season, is when you become too results-oriented instead of process-oriented, then you start to accept beating Duke 27-13. to 13. You start to accept beating Louisville 12 to 7. You start to accept beating Georgia Tech 31 to 13. When in reality, in those games, we were talking at hours breakdown about, hey, this is going to get you beat against these better teams. You can't do this. You can't call plays like this. You can't execute like this. You can't be like this a quarterback when you play better teams. The reality is, is I don't even think half of Notre Dame's opponents had winning records. And and outside of Clemson, Alabama, and North Carolina, every every team on the schedule was six and five and worse. You know, so you have to be able to look at those things and say, we can give credit for winning games. And I love the fact that Brian Kelly has brought this program to the point where they don't lose to Northwestern anymore. They don't lose to Pitt anymore. They don't lose to Louisville anymore. You know, anymore. They don't lose to Tulsa anymore. And that's great. That's a, that's growth. And he's done a great job at that. But there's still this notion that you don't let it all hang out when the lights are brightest. And that's what was so encouraging about the, the Clemson game on November 7th was because we saw a loose team. We saw a coaching staff not afraid to attack an opponent. But then when we saw the healthy Clemson in the ACC title game, those things kind of went out the window. And they got outcoached. And, and then that led to them getting outplayed. And then, of course, we saw the same thing in, the, in the, the playoff game. So to me, there were a lot of games that showed, like, this is Notre Dame is the same team they were last year. 
They're going to beat everybody they're supposed to beat, and they're going to lose to the teams that 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 are better than them. And and the, when when your only exception is a game that I still give them credit for, but a game where you say the other team lost arguably the best quarterback of the last ten years, the you know their best defensive tackle who dominated you in the rematch, their best linebacker who dominated you in the rematch. You have to be able to look at it and say, where does that double overtime kind of fall in there? Do you do you beat Clemson when your quarterback fumbles the ball in the end zone if Trevor Lawrence is on the other side of the field? Yeah. Those are legitimate questions. And and so, you know, to me, I just saw a program that has become stagnant, but stagnant in a place that is going to make a lot of fans happy because a lot of people are going to say, well, at least it's not the Weiss years. At least it's not the Ty years and the Davy years. And they'll accept 10-2 and two and getting to the big stage. And, uh, you know, a, a game against Alabama that to me was not as close as the score indicated because at least it's not that bad. And I think they've bought into the excuse that, well, this is the best Notre Dame can be. And, and I don't believe that to be the case. Yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because we're going to talk about that when we talk about the next steps that need to be taken to possibly get to that level of being a true title contender. And then, you know, can you win a national championship at Notre Dame, the way things are in this current climate of of NCAA football? We're going to get to that. But before we do, Clemson, Alabama, we know who they are. Definitely two of the top three programs. The one thing for me that stood out, and this is no disrespect, before I say this, man, I just, as I said before in my opening, Kudos to Ian Book. I think mm -hmm. he squeezed everything he could get, every bit of juice he could get out of that orange. Mm -hmm. to use that phrase. Everything mm -hmm. he could get out of himself, he gave it all to this program. He gave it all to the fan base. I have nothing but a round of applause and flowers to give to that young man as he exits, whether it's the NFL or just going into any other career he chooses. Man, I'm proud of the job he did for the Fighting Irish at the quarterback position. With all of that being said, the one thing that jumped out at me, before we get to skill positions and breaking down other matchups, when you look at the other three teams that were in the college football playoff, I looked at their quarterbacks and said, yep, those are guys that are going to play on Sundays. Mm -hmm. Without a doubt. First rounders. All three of those guys could be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft this year. Mm -hmm. That, for me, was the, the major difference. And that, for me, is a problem because the quarterback position at Notre Dame, and we've talked about this, a lot of people would say, look, get us an elite quarterback. Recruit an elite quarterback. And you ran off the names to me. And you said, Sean, it's not about recruiting. There's something else that hasn't been done when it comes to quarterbacks at Notre Dame. Yeah, I mean, I just I get so tired of of just the the constant excuses of of well, it's it's the quarterback play. Well, true, but who's responsible for that? You, you know what I mean? Who's responsible for the fact that you signed Everett Golson, Gunnar Keel, Malik Zaire, Deshaun Kaiser, Brandon Wimbush, Phil Dracovic, and now Tyler Buckner coming in? You know, you, you signed some pretty darn good quarterbacks, and, and why are you not able to develop them the way that other programs are developing their quarterbacks? And, you know, you don't have to. I mean, Mac, you could say, okay, well, Justin Fields is a five-star player. Yes, he was. Uh, you know, Mac Jones was not. Mac Jones is a three-star player, but he was developed into maximizing his potential in, a, in playing in a system where – where he he's able to – it's a modern system. I mean, to me, that really is the issue. You know, Brian Kelly will, will say will, – will always point to the issues within the program, and he'll call out the offensive line when it wasn't good enough in 2018. He'll call out the defensive performances when that's not good. He'll You know, in 2018, he talked about we need more explosive playmakers despite the fact his team had Chase Claypool, Miles Boykin, and Dexter Williams – with Braden Lindsey, Kevin Austin, Lawrence Keyes, and Tommy Trumbull all standing on the sideline with a combined zero snaps. You're telling me your receiving core isn't good enough when you have Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool? You know, uh, it's just – but he won't say – he won't talk about quarterback. He will he refuses to talk about the fact that his program has not been able to develop quarterbacks. That, to me, tells me deep down he knows it's there, but he doesn't want to acknowledge it. And if you're not willing to acknowledge it, you're not going to fix it. You know, when Brian Kelly acknowledged his team wasn't physical enough after the 2012 game, they, they changed and they became physical. They did not get beat by Alabama because they weren't physical. 
I would argue that Notre Dame at the very least stalemated along the lines in that game. I think they had the advantage in the off on offense. I think Alabama had a slight advantage on defense. I think the fact that you know how many let me ask you this question. Do you know how how explosive you watched Alabama? Do you know how many deep balls, how many throws beyond 20 yards Mac Jones attempted against Notre Dame? Offhand, no, but it was definitely one. less than what they do. Yeah. One, and it almost got picked off. Do you know why they did that? Because Nick Saban, you could hear it in the comments afterwards, they knew if we drop back and throw the ball downfield all day, they have pass rushers they are going to get after us. We're not going to let Dalen Hayes and Adi Ogundiji and Jason Adamiola and, and Jeremiah Wusu and Kyle Hamilton impact the quarterback. Yeah. So gain, they, look what they did. It was screen. It was quick throws. It was RPOs. It was basically you game plan to exploit the area where you felt the opponent might have had an advantage over you, or at least if not an advantage, an area where they could hurt you. Right. That's what great coaching is. Whereas Notre Dame said, we're just going to do what we do. And to me, that's not giving your players an opportunity to be successful. And, and that's the difference to me. If you can't at least once or twice get an offense that has that those quarterbacks back to back to back to back, that's not a quarterback issue. That's a coaching issue. And, you know, when Brian Kelly says, well, we just we don't have enough explosive playmakers. Well, in 2015, you had Deshaun Kaiser, C.J. Proceis, Josh Adams, Will Fuller, Chris Brown, Amir Carlisle, and Equinemi St. Brown, and you had Alizé Mack at the time was Alizé Jones. You had an offensive line with three starters that went on to become first-round picks and a second-round pick. That offense averaged less than a point more per game than this past year's offense. Less than a point, despite averaging seven yards a play. So the excuses keep changing, but the results – Keep staying the same, yeah. And and it whether it's Ian Book or Deshaun Kaiser or Brandon Wimbush or, or whoever else, you know, it, it's frustrating. I mean, that that's the thing is in this year, you know, when the offense was struggling early. Well, we didn't have spring ball, and Ian's getting used to playing with new quarterbacks. Forget the fact that all the players he was playing with, except for Michael Mayer, who had no problems adjusting, and Ben Skoranek, were guys he'd been playing with for three or four years. I don't I don't get that. Where then you watched BC. With Phil Dracovic, who's in a brand new system with brand new players, he's played with none of those guys. They had no spring ball, and he comes out and goes for over three bills his first two games. You know, it, it, but that guy wasn't good enough to, to come off the bench for the you. Yeah. You know, yeah. so when you see those things, you you have to start asking your question: like, what's the one constant in this whole thing? It's Brian Kelly. It's his offensive system, and we need to be able to say to Brian Kelly phenomenal job getting us to the point where we're disappointed in a 10 and two season. Brian Kelly deserves a ton of credit for getting us to that point. But we also need to be able to say this is Notre Dame and 10 and two with a three and 15 record against teams that finish in the top 10 isn't good enough. And we need to be able to have both of those conversations at the same time. That's a perfect segue because one of the most disappointing things as an Irish fan that I had to go through was watching that post-game press conference from the Rose Bowl. And I, you wrote a great article. I encourage everybody, go to Irish Maven right now. Brian Driscoll wrote an incredible article. I won't say it was targeting the press conference, but it was a response to what was said in the press conference and pointing out you know, some of the issues with some of the things that were said. You talked about one of the things it just seems like, you know, the problem is never about game planning, coaching. It's always throwing the players under the bus. Mm -hmm. And I was always taught in anything, leadership is about protecting those and stepping out in front and taking accountability when things don't go right. Mm -hmm. So that number, number one for me is a problem. But the other embarrassing part for me was just listening to a head coach who constantly talks about winning national championships at Notre Dame, running from the questions about falling short yet mm -hmm. once again when mm -hmm. having the opportunity as if and then taking uh the local media to task in a sense for not throwing the flowers at the feet of notre dame and brian kelly because they were 10 and 2 and once again lost in the college football playoffs as if something had been done mm -hmm. and in all honesty sir as an irish fan you really haven't done anything like you, you haven't. I've seen. Uh, I believe Charlie Weiss had a ten-two season. Oh uh, yes, mm -hmm. you've done much more than Charlie Weiss, Bob Davy, Tyrone Willingham. By no means am I putting them on the same level where Brian Kelly is a coach. Mm -hmm. But I saw Tyrone Willingham 
go seven and oh go to a bcs bowl saw charlie weiss do the same thing so it's like if you're at notre dame and we'll get into this you will attract smart kids that can play the game of football right. the brand itself does that so you're if you're a just a coach that shows up and does anything you can get players in notre dame you can develop players and every two or three years you'll have a good team because those kids will grow up and be ready to be a good football team but if you want to take the next step and have a deep program full of promising players that are developing that understand the culture that expect to win national titles the first day they set foot on campus that takes work that takes development the next level of development and if you're not willing to commit to that as a head coach and a program if you're not willing to step out in front of your players and per se take those bullets when the mm -hmm. media is firing at the program then i question the culture you have right. in the in your program and whether or not you truly have the best at heart what's best for your players at heart mm -hmm. For me, Sean, it sounds like there's always there's always a tampering down of expectations with Brian Kelly, yeah. unless it suits him correctly. Yeah. And and look again, I praise Brian Kelly for getting Notre Dame to the point where we can expect. You know, Ty had a ten win season. Davey never did, but he you know they they didn't play always play twelve games in the regular season back then. Uh, Charlie had a twelve a twelve a ten win season. The difference now is consistency. Yes, but I have to ask you. Is it Brian Kelly that's changed in the last four years, or is it that he hired Matt Bayless, you know, Chip Long, Mike Elko, and Clark Lee? I go and further before you. I, I'll let me jump in right here. Mm -hmm. This goes right at conversations we've had. How long have we been better than Stanford? In the two last years? two years, three years, yeah, two, two years. years. Before that, that was the, that was that was the school, the smart school that mm -hmm. had the best college football program. Yeah. So. You know, like you said, yeah, we have these 10 win seasons, but we're not that far from being right. second with Stanford. Notre Dame is where Stanford was in the early 2000, 2010s, yeah. is where Notre Dame is right now. Where, And I would argue Stanford had a couple teams with Andrew Luck, again, great quarterback, that were a little better, that could have been title contenders. But overall, Notre Dame is, is what Stanford was. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. Uh, but it's kind of like, but that's what Brian Kelly was hired to do. Right, like you were hired to 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 where this should be the standard. The, the problem that I have with Brian Kelly is, as a coach, there are going to be times where you take the arrows and you deflect the arrows away from your team, yeah, because you want to protect your players. Yeah, you don't come out in the Alabama game, or better example, the Clemson game, uh, in, in the ACC title game, and say, well, you know what, like we didn't make enough plays, we were misaligned early. We, you know, he's got all these reasons why the players didn't execute. What about every now and then saying, you know what? We didn't get these guys prepared to play. We got to do a better job of getting these guys prepared to play. We didn't have the same energy in this game that we had when we played them on November 7th, and that's on me. You don't see Brian Kelly doing that. Anytime he's asked about why he fell short or his program falls short, he either A, deflects and gets mad and, and says, you know, why aren't we praising him? Because A, that's not our job. And I know when you turn on – different political networks now it seems like they've all become cheerleaders for whatever side of the aisle that they're on that's not who the notre dame media is that's not who they should be uh, and, and that's not our job and so for him to respond that way to me was just it was a reflection of a deeper problem if brian kelly would have only acted that way after that game and this was really a, a an anomaly i would have said you know what it was a long year and this team went through a lot, and it did. And Brian Kelly and his staff and his players deserve a lot of credit for getting through what was a insane year when you look at COVID and games being rescheduled and all these kind of travel changes and restrictions. It was a challenging year, and they managed through that with one small hiccup, which is which kind of happens to everybody. Uh, and that was you know when they after you know the, when they had the game against Wake Forest canceled, but they really managed it well. And if it would have just been that one blow up, I'd have said, you know what? It was a frustrated coach at the end of a long, hard year, and his emotions got the better of him. But this is a constant trend, not so much his emotion, but the deflection, the projection, the blaming other people, the, the acting as if choices that they make as a program are, are somehow influenced on them. And, 
And I remember last year, Sean, when, when he was asking about Phil Jerkovic and why he wasn't playing more. And, and he, he said, he, you know, well, he just doesn't have a lot of experience as if there was no control on his end of that reality. You know, and, and then you watch what, what Clemson did this year with DJ Uwongalele, where they were putting him in in the first quarter, in the first half of games yes, to get him ready. They did that with Trevor Lawrence in 2018. They did and it then, with Sean at Florida State. Right. The first time right. Against a, a really good Florida State team. Right. So, yeah. you know, you just look at it and you say, why is this happening with – with these programs, you know, but but you're unwilling to to work Phil Dracovic in against New Mexico in the first half, yeah, or Bowling Green in the first half, you know, it's your stubbornness that is the problem, and your stubbornness and your has got you to this level, right? But at some point in time, your stubbornness has to say, okay, we're here. This isn't the standard. I want more. I got to be willing to do more than just play a little harder, coach a little better. We have to be able to look and say why are we scoring 33, 34 points a game and all these other teams are scoring all these other points? You say, well, we don't have enough talent. I'm sorry. You 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 had Will Fuller, C.J. Procise, Josh Adams, and you scored 34 points a game. Two years ago, you had Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, Alizé Mack, Dexter Williams. I mean, you had NFL players throughout your roster and you scored 31 points a game. It's not the players. It's you're running an, an old, outdated system that refuses to use RPOs. I mean, the 34-yard touchdown pass that Mac Jones threw to Devontae Smith, the second touchdown pass, it was a slant. Yeah. It was football one-on-one, something we've seen for 30, 40 years, and it was simply an RPO. The three linebackers stepped up to defend the run, so he just pulled it and hit a slant route. You're telling me Ian Book can't do that? You're telling me Avery Davis, Xavier Watts, Jordan Johnson, uh, Javon McKinley, Tommy Trumbull, Mike, none of those players can run an RPO slant route? You're telling me Ian Book is so dense as a quarterback that he can't read yeah. that and pull it and throw a slant? I don't buy it. You made the choices to go back to an old, outdated system that never worked in the first place. That's not on your players. You know, Javon McKinley did something this year that only two other receivers at Notre Dame have done in the last decade. That's Michael Floyd and Will Fuller, and that's have at least four games of over 100 yards. But here's the thing about Javon McKinley. He didn't do it against bad teams. He did it against Clemson. He did it against North Carolina. He did it against Florida State in a spotlight game against Asante Samuel. He he stepped up when you got him the ball. And then you watched the first half against Alabama, and I, I'm watching the All-22 again today, Sean, and I'm thinking, he's got the one-on-one. Take a shot. And and there it wasn't even a thought process in the, in the offense's mind. That's not a Javon McKinley problem. That's not a wide receiver problem. Mm-hmm. That's a Brian Kelly, Tommy Reese problem. And I, and I put more of it on Brian Kelly because I think part of the reason Tommy Reese was hired is because he was going to implement a system that Brian Kelly wants. So that's the frustrating thing is that's not a player talent thing. And then I got to listen to Notre Dame fans talk about, well, Notre Dame doesn't recruit well enough a wide receiver. I'm sorry. <laughs> they seem to love them in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go through the Notre Dame last decade and tell me they haven't had enough talent at receiver and tight end, I don't know what to tell you. I, I mean, I, I really don't know what to tell you. So, but, but that's the thing is Sean, it's, 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 it goes back to He's perfect at manipulating the narrative, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he's perfect that, and too many people are too many people are accepting it, and that is the damage ultimately that was done by the twenty years of futility prior to this recent stretch, which includes Brian Kelly's tenure, which is eight and five, eight and five, twelve and zero, eight and five, nine and four, ten and three, four and eight. That's also on his resume. Yeah, right. And that combined with what we saw from Weiss, Willingham, and Davy has gotten people to the point where like, hey, we don't want to fire Brian Kelly or upset Brian Kelly because we'd rather be 10 and 2 than go back to that. Well, that's a false, that's a false, you know, di- dichotomy right there, in my opinion. You should say, great job, coach, getting to this, that level. That's why you're still here. And that's why you got a pay raise. But now the standard is take the next step and stop blaming admissions for why you aren't recruiting top players. Because here's the deal. You ask me, you ask anybody else that covers reporting that's being honest. Brian Kelly doesn't work nearly as hard at recruiting as Dabo, Nick Saban, Ryan Day, mm. other top coaches. You want to get top players, how about you act like a head coach at Notre Dame is supposed to act and recruit your butt off just like those other coaches are? Maybe then you'd get the one or two players. Admission standards aren't any harder now than they were when Charlie Weiss was here. And Charlie Weiss had no problem getting five-star players. Remember, Charlie was beating USC for top players back when USC was winning titles. USC was not far removed from winning titles of being a top five team when he beat USC for Manti Teo. Right. When he beat him for Sierra Wood. Right. 
So when he beat him for Dane Christ, Jimmy Clausen, okay? So don't tell me it's because, well, you know, we just can't recruit to that level. No, that's an excuse. And anyone who actually believes that the academic standards have gotten tougher since Brian Kelly's been here is believing a narrative that is not true. I've asked former coaches who have had success recruiting here. I've asked former players. I know the GPAs of a lot of players on this football team, okay? Let me tell you, there's no academic admissions problem that hasn't existed for 30 years, okay? So we got to stop buying the excuses that are being handed to us. Yeah. And we got to start saying, we can praise Brian Kelly for the great job he's done. And managing this season to the point where Notre Dame was able to play 12 games is something he deserves a lot of praise for. So do his captains and his assistant coaches. But we can still walk and chew gum at the same time and say, but there's something that's missing here that you need to fix. You need to fix it instead of just saying, well, hey, this is as good as it gets. And, you know, we're just going to try to coach a little harder, coach a little better. No. Say, well, we got to recruit better. Well, how about the five-star receiver that, that got zero targets this year? Zero. How about Xavier Watts who got zero targets this year? How about, how about you don't give Chris Tyree the ball until the fourth quarter against Clemson, and what does he do? He goes 21 yards for a touchdown. I'm just saying, you got these explosive players. You got Tommy Tremble all year, and you use him as a blocker. As a blocker. And you know? This is the crazy thing. You know what? I can remember there was an era. Now, Alabama is the pinnacle. But there is a – I call it the Mike era. Mm -hmm. Not the Mike linebacker, but the Mike era. In Alabama, where you had Mike Price – Mike Shula, Mike DeBose, Dennis Francione sprinkled up in there. Yeah, Bama fans remember that. And they came out of that. And what brought them out of that was the expectation set by right. Nick Saban. Like, they didn't right. just say, oh, 10 and 2. If Nick Saban can get us to 10 and 2, we're happy. Mm -hmm. We just came out of that era with those three Mikes and Dennis Francione. Oh, man, we'll just take 10 and 2 and maybe an SEC championship every now and then. No. The tenure and the expectations of that program was set by Nick Saban, and he mm -hmm. walked the walk and lived up to that. Right. Not only in recruiting, but in how he relates to everyone. Yeah, he can be somewhat <laughs> blustery and, you know, prickly when it comes to dealing with the media. And, you know, but he defends his players like mm -hmm. he defends his players to the end. He's hard on them. He stays on top of them. Some people complain mm -hmm. about that. I would rather have a hard ass mm -hmm. as my head coach that's going mm -hmm. to defend the players and set the tone that we're winning the national championship and nothing else is acceptable than to have somebody trying to change the narrative and, and sell me that 10 and 2 is good enough when it's not. Well, let me let me throw this little nugget in there for you, Sean. When you look at Dabo Sweeney's first years, first four years, including the year where him and Tommy Bowden coached the same season, mm -hmm. his best finish was 22nd ranked. They went seven and six, nine and five, six and seven, 10 and four. And the year they went 10 and four in his fourth year, they gave up 70 points in the Orange Bowl, right? If you look at the, the year before Clemson really took off, was that 2012 year where they beat LSU in a Chick fil A bowl? Then the yeah. next year they beat Ohio State in the Orange Bowl. And then they, then they were kind of a, True contender in the 20 years, 20 years before that, Clemson had one finish higher than 20th in the national polls. One. Well, what changed? Did all of a sudden they lower the academic standards at Clemson? Did all of a sudden state of South Carolina get this huge influx of talented players? No. He went out and made hires that and he made changes philosophically. He made changes offensively. He made changes defensively. He fired Kevin Steele, hired Brent Venables. Yeah. He went out and hired Chad Morris to run the offense. Then he replaced him with Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott. He made changes, and he recruits his butt off. So to act like Clemson is this, well, of course Clemson's good. Since when? <laughs> the last time Clemson won a national title before the last couple of years was 1981. I'm 42 years old. I was three the last time that Clemson won a national title. And here's the thing. It's not like they were almost there like Georgia was for so many years under Mark Richt, right? Yeah. They were never even in the, the sniffing the ballpark of it good. And then when you consider they were in the ACC all those years, which has never been an off a, 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 a yeah. you say, well, you, you couldn't get in the top 15 more than once in over 20 years. Yeah. Yet now everyone just assumes Clemson's going to be great. Why? 
because Dabo Sweeney, the head coach, said, here's a standard, and when they weren't living up to that standard, he said, it's not good enough. I got to go out and make the changes to make it happen, and he did that, and now they're this program that people are just assuming is going to be a title contender every year. Based on what? What tradition was South Carolina selling? Yeah. You know, what What great – you say, oh, it's a great campus. It was a great campus for the 20-plus years before they got good. What changed? It's the people that are running the program changed. You know, and so, well, South Bend's a terrible – South Bend's always been the same. Actually, South Bend's nicer now than it was a decade ago when I moved here. It's a lot more going on. Yeah. So so I'm just – I'm t- the weather's bad. Hey, I grew up in Ohio. Columbus, Ohio doesn't have great weather either. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good point. So, you know, I'm, I'm, t- there's always these, ex- and Brian Kelly talks about the weather and the, they're all, they're all part of his narrative. He wants to tamper down expectations. So that way, when they go 10 and two, instead of saying, Hey, great year, but this isn't good enough. He can say, well, you know, geez, we had so much going against us. Yeah. And you could say, well, it's the COVID year. Well, it was the same excuse in 2019. It was the same excuse in 2018. It was the same excuse in 2017. Remember when they faltered down the stretch? Oh, well, you know, our guys are just tired. They travel a lot. Well, you know what? They traveled a lot in 1988, too, and they weren't flying nearly as comfortably back then as they are now. You know, so it's just the one thing I respected about Charlie Weiss for all his flaws, he never once, once blamed Notre Dame for why he fell short. He never once used admissions as an excuse for why they didn't get top players. He put in the work. He had a plan. The plan didn't work, and he he took responsibility. But that guy was able to recruit more five-star players in five years than Brian Kelly's in 11, and we're supposed to think that admissions is the problem? No, admissions is not the problem. Brian Kelly is not the pro- is the problem per se. He's also the solution because I don't think firing Brian Kelly's the answer. What I think is Brian Kelly holding himself to a higher standard and a, a higher level of accountability where he looks first in the mirror and says, what did I do? before he starts talking about no playmakers and the offensive line and the defensive line and everybody else for why his program isn't in the next step, he needs to start looking in the mirror and taking responsibility for himself because he's the one that decided to run this offense. He's the one that decided to hire a 28-year-old offensive coordinator. He's the one that decided to take the steps that resulted in Phil Dracovic transferring out, which it was not about playing time, I can assure you. If they would have if they would have shown Phil the respect and love and said, hey, you're part of our future, he would have stayed and backed up Ian this year. Flat out would have. And it would have worked out great they didn't know it at the time, but with COVID and everything, he'd still have three years left. Right. Man, you know so, what? A lot of people forget this, because you're talking about young talent, young talent at Notre Dame consistently not seeing the field, not being given the opportunity to develop. You know, it's one thing to practice, but you have to see live reps. Mm-hmm. That's really the only way you truly take the next step in development right. are those live reps. I, I remind people, we just watched a possible Heisman Award winner Scored three touchdowns against Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl and Devontae Smith. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want you to go back to that national t- championship game in overtime against Georgia. It was freshman to freshman mm-hmm. for the win. Think about that. And if those guys had not been developed during the season to be prepared for that mm-hmm. moment, Alabama doesn't win a national championship. Jimmy catches Devontae Smith had before that moment for the year. Six. Yeah. That was his seventh catch of the season. Yeah. But like you said, it was part of – and Dabo Swinney talked about this with EJ Williams, his his stud uh, freshman receiver, who, by the way, was ranked lower than Jordan Johnson was coming out of high school. Uh, well, you know, he wasn't ready in September and October, but we kept working on him because we thought we could get him ready for the playoff. And look what he did against Notre Dame. He caught a touchdown pass early. He made a one-handed catch. He looked way better in November and December than he did early in the year because he got that opportunity to continue to grow. He got the opportunity to make mistakes on the field. And now you look at him, his two most high catch games were against Notre Dame and Ohio State. You know, so that's what development is. What Brian Kelly has done is when the season starts, he says, This is our team. This is our alignment, our lineup. This is our alignment, and this is who we're rolling with. When, when what it should have been was you looked at your schedule, you see a Duke team you know isn't good. You see a South Florida team you know isn't good. You know Florida State stinks. You know Louisville's going to have a bad defense. You know that you, you look at Georgia Tech, they're not going to be good. There should have been a plan in place to say we're going to work Xavier into the system. We're going to work Jordan Johnson into the system. We're going to work Lawrence Keyes into the system. We're going to give these guys opportunities to get some 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 reps under their under their, under themselves. Because Are you going to really tell them you're going to lose to Duke because you gave a freshman receiver 10 snaps? 12 snaps during the game, maybe two, three targets. Of course not. That's absurd. 
So, you know, again, this is a Brian Kelly problem, and it's been going on for a long time. I mean, when, when Notre Dame played George in 2017, you had Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, and Cole Komet combined for 12 snaps. Chris Fink, Cam Smith, and Freddie Canteen combined for over 100 in a game you lost by one point to the eventual national runner-up. You know, so yeah. this isn't a new thing. And, and you know, you, you, well, what about Michael Mayer? Well, Michael Mayer's the exception, number one. Number two, who, is he go- who are you going to start over him? Everybody else is an experience, too. Yeah. You know, Brock Wright's not a guy, but but Michael Mayer's a freak. You don't point to the exception and say, it's like if you have a freshman quarterback and he's not Trevor Lawrence, you don't say the coaching staff did a bad job because he didn't play like Trevor Lawrence. That's the anomaly. That's right. the exception to the rule, you know? Uh, and, and that's what we see here. And it's a frustrating thing because at the end of the day, Sean, the reason I'm frustrated is because I do believe Brian Kelly has gotten this program to the level where they're really – really close really close to the point they're a recruiting a a good recruiting class here a good recruiting class there away from being a team that can win this kind of game and that's what was so disappointing about the Alabama game it wasn't that they lost I didn't think they were going to win I thought they could if they hung in for a while and maybe caught some breaks in the fourth quarter I think they could have pulled it out if, if they could have forced Alabama to some uncharacteristic mistakes but at least be competitive to the kind of like the game I pointed to was was the game that got Clemson on the map wasn't beating Notre Dame in 2015 or beating uh, Alabama in in 2016. It was losing to Alabama in a really close game to where you realize, you know what, we can go toe to toe with these guys. Yeah. And then that fuels that team to kind of really go into that next year, feeling good about themselves. And and Notre Dame had that opportunity and they missed it. And they didn't miss it because Ian Book's not a good player or because they lack talent at receiver. They missed it because the coaching staff was unwilling to look in the mirror and say. What do we got to do to get the most out of these kids? And and that that ended up resulting in a in a really another embarrassing game. I mean, you know, if I'd have told you before the game that Notre Dame was going to hold Alabama to their lowest point total and lowest yard total of the season, and only, they would only score thirty one points, you'd have thought, boy, they're going to be in that game. You know, that, that could be a good game, yeah. but that's not yeah. what we saw. Here you go. This is what we hear. Okay, college football is all messed up. There's only three teams each year that can truly win the national championship. Recruiting is biased. Notre Dame and their academic standards limits the players we can go get. Mm -hmm. We don't receive senior transfers. So even in the transfer portal, we're at a deficit. Mm -hmm. You just can't win national titles at Notre Dame now, the way things are in college football. To all of this, you say what? I say it's nonsense. You know, I mean, that would have been like Lou Holtz saying, well, look, Miami's just too good. We can't beat Miami. Wow. You know, I mean, they're they're just they're winning titles every year. They're they're producing first round picks every year. We can't beat Miami. Let's just look, guys, let's just go out there and hope that we can keep it close with them. Because they've blown us out the last few years. Let's just try to keep it close with them, you know. Uh, because that's the same story that was being told about Notre Dame back in 1988. They'd been down since 77. You know, the Faust years were a joke. You know, Lou Holtz has a winning, a losing record his first year. They go eight and three his second year. They can't recruit this. The standards are that, you know, all these other kind of things. Well, look, the number one classes that Lou Holtz started recruiting didn't come until after they beat Miami and won a national championship. That's when they started recruiting like crazy. You know, he took a lot of veteran players and he had some really talented young players like Rocket Ismail and and Todd Light, I believe, was a sophomore on that team. And, and Derek Brown was a freshman. And he said, we're going to develop these guys, and we're going, we're going to go after them. We're going to take the fight to them. Notre Dame beat, what, four or five top ten teams that year? You know, so we heard the same story. You know, no, no, to the north, and, you know, you had Florida State was a great program back then, and Penn State was a great program back then. And, you know, it, we've seen the story written all the time. It's just, are you going to accept that lot in life, or are you going to fight? You know, when, when Clemson started making their run, it, there's no way Clemson's going to be as good as Florida State. No way they're going to be as good as Florida State. That's just not a football school. You know what I mean? They're good. They get some athletes. They produce some NFL players here and there. But, you know, Clemsoning was an adjective used to well, describe futility like six years ago. That was recent, you know? Um, so I just, I just, I mean, it, it, it wasn't until Jim Trestle came along that Ohio State had any chance in heck at beating Michigan for almost 20 years. I mean, Michigan owned Ohio State, right? Yeah. 
Ohio State hadn't been a true national title contender for years, and 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 Ohio State had some loaded teams in the mid '90s that failed to win championships because they'd choke in big games. Well, what happened? You hired a coach that got over that narrative, and I would argue that Ohio State's title team in 2002 didn't have anywhere close <laughs> to the talent that Ohio State had from like '94 to '97. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but what changed? It was coaching. It was an. It was an. It was a coach that would no longer accept losing to Michigan as an as an option. You know, like you said about you know Alabama when Gene Stallings left, Alabama was a an, was kind of a, a mediocre program for over a place. Yeah. You know, and, and so to me, it's just about you know was Ohio State the root recruiting juggernaut they are now before Urban Meyer help showed up? No, no, they were not. So you know what what. what it, it's it's frustrating because is is it harder at Notre Dame? Yeah, it's harder at Notre Dame. I'll never deny that. Do I expect Notre Dame to go on a ten year run that's similar to what Alabama's done the last decade? No, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think that. I don't think that's the option. That's not the alternative, and that's not what I'm looking for. Do I think Notre Dame should be a top ten team every single year? Yes, they're yeah. getting close to that, but they're not there yet because they weren't a top ten team last year. Right, they didn't finish in the top ten in two thousand seven. I don't. Well, they might have two thousand seventeen. They might have, but you know, the, 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 they're not a consistent top ten team. Number one, number two, because last year's eleven and two, there was they won one t- game over a ranked opponent, one, and that was Navy. So you know, I'm not going to applaud an eleven and two year where your best win is over Navy twice in the last five years when they've won ten or more games. Their best win was over Navy. So let's let's keep some context too about the schedule. Right. Right. right? But they're close to that. You know, they're close to being a top 10 team every year. You know, in a team that I expect in a five-year period, they should be in the playoff three, four times, I think. I do think that's – to me, that is something that Notre Dame should be should be in the range of. And when they get to the playoff, they should be competitive and then win it once every five years. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that. Yeah. And if you do lose it, lose it like Notre Dame lost in 1993, you know, where you you know you're losing – to, to BC in a late field goal, you know, where you're going toe to toe. Brian Kelly's three and 15 against teams that finished ranked in the top 10. Okay. That's not the standard at Notre Dame. I'm sorry. Their record is an, an indication yeah. of how far he's brought the program, but also let's be honest, the ACC schedule has helped soften the overall schedule. It just has. Here's what else has happened in the last four or five years. Stanford and USC are down. That's helped. Cause when Stanford was owning Notre Dame, that was a guaranteed loss. Every year you went out to California at the end of the year, it was a guaranteed loss. Yeah. Well, that's changed partly because Notre Dame hasn't played good USC teams out in California yeah. the last several times. They haven't played good Stanford. They beat a four and eight Stanford team last year. It was their first road win over Stanford since I think 2007. You know, so everything's going in Brian Kelly's favor right now. And that's why it's so frustrating because you have a chance to take advantage of USC being down, Stanford being down, a weak, weak overall schedules to where you should be taking advantage of this and building your program, yeah. putting into work. Let's steal a recruit here or there. And, and he's just not willing to do it. His staff has worked their butts off to get to the point where they can recruit the way they have. But he's got he's the missing link to them taking that next step. That That's just a fact. And anyone that covers the team will either say it or think it but be un, be unwilling to say it because they're afraid they might lose, you know, a, a, a connection on on the Notre Dame side of things. But we all know it. We all know Brian Kelly doesn't put in the work. Yeah. Carter Carrells of the South Bend Tribune last year had a had an article where he interviewed several top players that at one point in time Notre Dame was the leader for, and they said Brian Kelly never called me. He never talked to me. Like this coach is telling me, you know, I'm the greatest thing ever, and this other coach won't. And you wonder why these kids are are, are going to make the change. Well, one of my sources said, Brian Kelly said, we shouldn't have to convince kids to come to Notre Dame. That's flipping what recruiting yeah. is. Yeah. And for all the talk about how hard it is in Notre Dame, I, 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 I'm going to tell you, I've not told anybody else this, Sean. This is exclusive for you. True story. There's a kid that Notre Dame recruited in the 2021 class that's considered a top recruit. That flat out, I had someone close to him tell me, he's going there because of Notre Dame. He's going there in spite of the head coach not because of it that happens a lot there's kids that would transfer from notre dame right now guys that play if it wasn't for the fact that they're too close to their degree to leave because of notre dame so notre dame is an asset if you use it correctly not a hindrance and that's my frustration you've got this great resource and you continue to use it as a crutch instead of using it as a resource 
which is what Lou Holtz did, which is what Charlie Weiss did. And Brian Kelly can can see the can see that and make those changes. I do believe Brian Kelly can be the guy that can get Notre Dame back to where it needs to get to. That's what's fresh. If I didn't think he was the guy, if he was doing everything possible and he just wasn't good enough, I'd say he's just not good enough. You know, he's done a great job. Give him a pat on the back, but it's just this is the best it's going to be under Brian Kelly. I don't think that has to be the case. That's a perfect segue into what I want to talk about because right now, as we currently discuss, we are sitting at seven transfers, seven players, former Notre Dame football players that have transferred out of the program. Notre Dame has received one transfer in. That is Wisconsin, former Wisconsin quarterback Jack Cohn. The seven players that have transferred out, Ovia Gofo, Houston Griffith, Jafar Armstrong, Cullen Grunhart, Jameer Smith, who uh, my prayers go out to him. He was dealing with some mental issues, and uh, we kind of saw this coming even before the season. He wasn't able to participate in this season for Notre Dame. Uh, so our prayers and our thoughts go out to him and hope that he continues to get better, not only in his football career, but his personal career, his, his personal life as well. Isaiah Rutherford, Jack Lamb, and um, I have it on authority. I spoke to someone that told me, look for 12 players to transfer out of this program. Mm -hmm. And I was told this this weekend, this past weekend. So we're sitting at seven right now. And uh, seven in that that's a lot even with the nascar transfer uh transfer portal that exists now like because it's been mm -hmm. open wide up with uh covet 19 and giving guys the one year that does not count against mm -hmm. their four years it's like nascar now everybody's taking advantage of it mm -hmm. and it's happening really fast and faster than previous years but seven in three to four days it, it, i'm sorry it's a lot and what I take from it, I'm going to let you, I'm just going to let you roll on this. But what I take from it, you've been talking about it and we've discussed it for the past 40 something minutes. Look, you can change narratives. You can set the tone and lower expectations. You can do all of that. You cannot fool these kids. Mm -hmm. Like you can, you can do magic illusions over here. Do something over here to get everybody in the fan base not to look on the other side. Mm -hmm. But those kids that sit there in meetings and watch film that are practicing against one another, competing against one another, you cannot fool these kids. Right. And so when I see this, I say to myself, there's something deeper here mm -hmm. that these kids are saying without right. saying anything through this right. transfer portal. Right. And every, every circumstance is different. And some of these kids are transferring because of opera. Jafar Armstrong's transferring because he wasn't going to play. And right. he, yeah. he wanted to go somewhere he could play. Jack Lamb was, was supposed to be in contention for a starting job next year. You know, he was their best special teams player. He had one fewer tackle on the season playing mostly special teams than the starting buck linebacker, Shane Simon, right? He had 12 tackles. Shane Simon had 13. A starting linebacker at Notre Dame who never lost his job in 11 games had 13 tackles that, you know, so when you're backing him up and you're seeing the film and you're like, why is he playing over me? Right. When I got my chance, I went out and made plays. If you're Jack Kaiser and you had almost as many tackles in one game against South Florida as Shane Simon had the whole year, it's going to get frustrating for you. You know, when you're Houston Griffith and you watch opponents pick on Sean Crawford week after week after week, and, and he doesn't get, basically penalized for it but yet you go in and make a mistake and you're out you're you no know, we're going we're not going to the veterans should be the ones held to the higher standard mm. not the younger players yeah and and they see that they see that opportunity you know you look at Houston you look at the last four players that have announced they're leaving Jack Lamb Ovia Gofu Houston Griffith Isaiah Rutherford three of those guys Griffith Ogofu and Lamb were all going to be contending for starting jobs next year at worst at worst they were all going to be rotation guys you know, Agofu was going to be in rotation with Isaiah Foskey. If he comes back, there's a chance Isaiah Foskey could have moved to strong side if he has if Ovi had a good spring, because Isaiah uh, to me is more built for that strong side position. Where right now you don't have a clear starter at that spot. You know, yeah. so so that's not just some guy that's not going to be playing next year. That's a guy that played like almost 20 snaps against Alabama in the title game in the playoff game. This is a guy that played against this Ovi plays. 
Houston Griffith played this year. He was he was used. Now he wasn't used as much as he should have been, in my opinion. But yeah. he was the guy that was going to be a leading contender for a starting safety spot next year. They, I, I can say it on good authority that from a couple sources that they're that he he's not leaving because they want him to. They want him to come back. They're still trying to get him to come back. But for him, it's like I'm not leaving because of playing time. When you're not leaving because of playing time. Then, then that to me tells me there's something bigger going on, and yeah, and it's not just there's like I said, there's several kids that I'm I'm very confident. In my sources have said the only reason they're not leaving is because they're just too close to their degree, and because of the extra year, they can, they're using that. Well, hey, look, I was going to leave, but I got that extra year now, so that helps me get a year closer to my, and get my degree, and then I can transfer and still have another year left. Yeah, that's also going on. Those kids aren't bought in. If you're only staying to get your degree, you're not bought in. And, and there's too much of that, and, and that's what I say is Notre Dame is actually an asset for Brian Kelly. He uses it as a crutch, which is frustrating. But if you look at the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that the school has spent on upgrading facilities, the stadium, the weight room, the recruiting area, the new indoor facility, they've spent hundreds of millions of dollars. And Notre Dame is not the reason that Brian Kelly is not able to get this program to the next level. Right. Brian Kelly is. But – I think at the end of the t- light at the end of the tunnel, though, Sean, for me, is I do think Brian Kelly is the guy that could get there, which is why I wrote an article at Irish Breakdown the other day where I said he needs to go back to his roots. Because when Brian Kelly burst onto the scene, he was ahead of his time. He had an offense at Grand Valley State that over the course of two years averaged over 51 points per game. They only lost one game in two years, and the game they lost was the national title game when their starting quarterback had gotten knocked out of the playoffs a couple of weeks before. So he needs to go back to the guy that got him here. They were fourth in the country in scoring at Cincinnati, you know, and he needs under, you look at the, around the country, Oh, Clemson known for great defenses. This, this is not the first time Clemson has given up over 40 points in a playoff game. This is the second time. And, 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 you know, they lost 45 to 40 a few years ago. They, when the year that they won the first time, they gave up 31 points yeah. in this era, you're not going to win 17 to 14. No. Everyone knows it. So, you know, come with the modern times because you've got the talent to get to that level. When you've got the offensive line, the run game, the tight ends that Notre Dame has, and you're producing high draft picks at receiver every year, you can't convince me that it's a talent issue. It's a yeah. utilization issue. Yeah, and the team that's going to win the national championship come Monday night, they're going to put up 40 points. Right. I don't know who it's going to be. So, yeah. At, at worst, but it's going to be in the high 30s. It's at going worst. To be in the high 30s. You know? I, I will say this, because I'm going to get your pick for that game before we get out of here. I truly believe that Notre Dame gave the blueprint to beat both teams that they lost to this year. I believe when you looked at that Notre Dame game in November, I think Ohio State realized we can push this defensive front for yeah. Clemson around. And off We can be front. physical. Yeah. yeah. We can completely Both. shut down their run game as well. Yep. Yeah. We can do it. And I think what they did running the ball, Alabama in that first half, and Kyron Williams ran so hard. Kudos mm-hmm. to that kid. He ran hard. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Tyree ran hard. And getting him in the uh getting Ky- Kyron Williams in the passing game was really good. Getting Chris Tyree out in space was really good with the screens. Uh, I don't know why they went to Sebo early in the third quarter and kind of broke the rhythm there. But I think they showed Ohio State, you know what? We can make some hay in the run game against Alabama. You know, this isn't the same big bad Alabama up the middle that's gonna stuff the run. And you just have to go and throw the ball 40, 50 times. No, I think they can make some hay talking about Ohio State with Trey Sermon in the run game and that big offensive line. And they have the big time playmakers on the outside and Chris Olave and uh, I'll forget Wilson. Mm-hmm. Wilson on the other side. And then they got Ruck, uh, Rick Ruckert going with the tight end. Mm-hmm. And um, we all know they have a quarterback right. that pulled the trigger. That won't be the problem right. with Alabama. Justin Fields is going to pull the trigger. I'm mm-hmm. excited to see how this game plays out. I think it's going to be a great national championship game. I'm asking you right now, which way are you leaning? Because it might change come kickoff. Yeah, I've I've changed my mind already four times. 
<laughs> since Friday night. Um, I'm going with Alabama simply because my concern with Ohio State is still that they were that was kind of a, a one a one off number one. Yeah. And number two, Sean, you you and I talked about this in the in the summer. You you know my stance on this. This was not a prototypical Clemson team. And yeah. if they didn't have Trevor Lawrence, they'd have lost two or three games in the regular season. Fact. Okay. Notre Dame beat them and BC almost beat them. Okay. So they had a, a legendary quarterback. This was a rebuilding year for Clemson. Brand new offensive line, four new stars in the offensive line, brand new defensive line, still young and developing secondary. When Justin Ross went down in the offseason with the with the, the I think it was a neck injury, that completely changed the makeup of this team. So this was not your prototypical Clemson team. So uh, and, and Ohio State just had one of those days. They had a great game plan, a phenomenal game plan. Yeah, uh, Alabama's a different animal. You know, Alabama's a team that I think Ohio State can score on. And I think I think that Clemson or Al- Ohio State did a great job, to your point, with the the Notre Dame blueprint. Hey, they're going to blitz us up the middle, so let's roll the pocket, do throwbacks, and do gimmicky things. So even though they have Ohio, even though they have Justin Fields and all those those great players, they're still running stuff right designed to attack Clemson instead of just doing what they do, right? Yeah. Imagine that, you know? So I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a battle. I think Alabama's offense is, is, to me, too balanced for Ohio State. I think that you're going to see them run the ball a little bit more effectively early, take more shots down the field, because I don't think Ohio State's as good at putting pressure on the quarterback as Notre Dame is. Uh, and, and you know, Ohio State's defense, kind of like Clemson's, can be scored on. And yeah. so can Alabama's, but not to the level that that I think that that we're going to see. But I, I do expect it to be high scoring. I just think that I'm going to go with Alabama because I think Alabama number one has been here a little, you know, a little bit more. Ohio State's what you know, this is their first playoff win since they beat Alabama in 2014. So I, I'm going to go with Alabama. But would I be shocked if Ohio State won the game? Absolutely not. I, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be one of those games where whoever has the ball last is going to win. You know, whoever can make that one stop in the second half is going to win. I don't think this is going to be a 20 to 17 game. I think it's going to look a lot like when the last time they played, which it was high yeah. scoring. Except yeah. now I think Alabama's got a lot better quarterback than they did back in 2014, with all due respect to Blake Sims. Hey, I don't think Steve Sarkeesian really used more than 50% of his his mind and playbook as far as attacking Notre Dame. No, yeah. I, I'm, yeah, I'm glad excited. you said that because I'm, I'm always sounding negative. I'm glad you so, said that. No, I'm super excited. Uh, I don't want to call it vanilla because they definitely had a good game mm-hmm. plan to attack the weakness mm-hmm. of the uh, defense of Notre Dame, as you spoke about previously in the podcast or earlier. But I, I'm I'm excited to see Steve Sarkeesian, and I am super excited to see what Ryan Day can come up with because mm-hmm. I love what he came up with. You just talked about it again. Two Clemson. brilliant offensive minds, Sean. Real, really two is. brilliant offensive minds. Looking forward to seeing what they give us in the next and game. Steve Sarkis is actually going to coach in this game, whereas yes. Clemson's offensive coordinator was sitting at home when they played in the semifinal game, and nobody talks about that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Your quarterback's coach is your quarterback's coach for a reason. Yeah. Tony yeah. Elliott has the reputation he does to the great coach for yeah. a reason. Yeah, so You don't awesome. have that guy. You know, I mean, if, if Clark Lee got sick two days before the game, would anybody have said, oh, well, the reason that happened, uh, you know, you know, oh, well, so-and-so could call the plays just as good as Clark Lee can. N- no, there's a reason he is who he is. So right. I think that factored in, too, and I, I don't think that's getting enough credit. But Tony Elliott being out isn't why Ohio State scored 49 points. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. all right. I just think it would have been a closer game. That's all I'm saying. I think it would have been a little bit more competitive for four quarters, but the way Ohio State played on, on that Friday night, they weren't going to lose to Clemson. Yeah, so once again, this is the end of this season, our last Under the Golden Dome podcast until right before the spring game. Uh, we thank you guys for sharing and joining us and listening to all the podcasts. Uh, thank you, Brian Driscoll, for joining us today from Irish Breakdown over at Irish Maven Sports Illustrated. I need that hat, so I'll be reaching out to you. <laughs> I definitely need paid, man. There's only two people in the world that have these hats, buddy. So we, we need three. We need it to be three. <laughs> we'll talk about that offline. Uh, but what else do you have going on in the coming weeks? Well, we just started our re- Replace and Reload series where we look at the players that have left. Today we talked about Adi Ogundiji. Uh In that article, I talk about a position change that I think is going to happen that's going to help replace him there. But we're going to go through all the players that Notre Dame is going to lose. 
uh, and kind of go through what's next in line. You know, we got to replace and reload. I had an article about the offensive line, some key questions that have to get answered there. Uh, and then I'm going to have an article coming out here in the next day or two, a film breakdown of Jack Cohn, the new grad transfer. And I'm going to have another article that says, if Brian Kelly wants to get this offense where it needs to be, specific changes that need to happen. So instead of just throwing grenades at Brian Kelly and say, you got to change, but not offering solutions, I'm going to offer some solutions based on what I think Notre Dame has personnel-wise combined with what we're seeing in, in the modern-day college football. So you definitely want to check that out because I, I want to dive into why I think Notre Dame should be better and how they can get better as opposed to just being critical, which I don't ever want to just be critical for the sake of being critical. I want to offer solutions to what's going on. And let them know where they can follow you on Twitter. Yeah. So you can at coach D one seven, eight. And then my website is super easy. It's just irishbreakdown.com. So you go there, it'll take you there. You can follow me at, at coach D one seven, eight. And Sean, we also started a YouTube channel, Irish breakdown uh, on YouTube as well. And we started a Facebook group page, Irish breakdown, Facebook group page. So we're trying to get our content to you in as many, as many avenues and, and outlets as possible. So make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Irish breakdown, our YouTube channel. And then of course, Check out the webpage at irishbreakdown.com. All right, Irish fans, we look forward to seeing you around springtime sometime in April. We'll talk about the 2021 edition of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And, yes, I, I will say this. There's no need to go jump off the roof or jump off the bridge. We're going to be okay. We're still a really good program. Yeah, they're and, close. That's yeah, the frustration. They are really close. That's yeah. the exciting thing is if Brian Kelly makes those changes – this is a team that can take that next hurdle in it. They went from eight, four and eight to, to 10 and three and winning 10 games a year. Yeah. They're close. And that's the exciting thing. They're close. So he's made the changes once. We need him to do a few more tweaks and we can get to that level. And hopefully we'll be hoisting a good <laughs> title and a good trophy coming soon. For Brian Driscoll, I am Sean Davis at SD2 Mics. Under the Golden Dome podcast, go type it in. Streaming platforms, A2S Network. Hayden Sports Network and Mini Mike's Pod. Follow us right now at Mini Mike's Pod on Twitter. We appreciate you so much. Happy New Year to everybody. We'll see you guys soon.